We're going to go through the book of Ephesians. Danny Williamson started us off last week, and we're going to continue through it. Um, I'm going to teach. Scott's going to teach. We're probably going to get some of the other guys like Stephen and Coco to jump in there too. It's going to be really cool. Um, I'm excited though because growing up in Calvary Chapel, growing up at Calvary Chapel Vista, one of the things um, that I was always blessed with as a high school student in our high school group was hearing people teach the Bible uh, in a way that was verse by verse, where instead of just having like a topic, which I do sometimes, sometimes I just have a topic I want to teach about, and I'll pick a couple verses that go with it, and I'll I'll go for it. Um, But tonight, we're going to actually look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. You can go, yeah, we're talking about identity tonight. And we're going to just go through verses 11 through 22. And we're going to look at it. It's going to be awesome. So the verses are going to be on the screen. Or if you want to look at your Bible, you can do that either way. We're trying to be nice to you and give you two different options. So I'll start by saying that identity is something I think we all struggle with, trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out what our identity is. Um, When I went to school, I remember that there was different types of people. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you have different classes of people. You've got jocks, athletic people. Does anyone identify with that? Yeah, okay, we've got some self-identified jocks over here. Um, We had geeks. Does anyone identify with geek? You're like, I am a geek. I would rather play Super Mario and read Twilight than throw a football around. I don't know. I don't know if Twilight counts for geeks. Probably not. No, I feel like I've insulted... I've insulted geeks everywhere. I'm so sorry. Okay, so there was nerds, geeks. I was definitely a nerd. Um, so when I went to school here, um, when all the cool kids were eating at the lunch table, me and my friends literally sat on the ground over there. Look, everyone look. We sat on the ground over there by that fence, and we ate our Lunchables off the ground, and we talked about Pokemon, and it was great. It was good times. So that's where I come from. We can live in our schools and walk around the halls and we can identify people as what we perceive them to be their identity. Like this person's popular, this person's cool. This person's hot, this person's not. This person is talented, this person's a loser. We have labels for people and things that we call people. I remember really searching for identity. My whole life going to school, I didn't really know who I was. I, I, I had three friends who were extremely good friends to me in junior high and then around my eighth grade year, They all moved to go to different schools, and I was left with nobody really to call a good best friend of my own. I didn't really belong to a group. Maybe some of you guys know what that feels like. Some of you guys, you you fit in a group. You come to school, and you know who you belong with. You've got your crew. Others of you, you may have been a floater like me. You went around, and you floated around to different groups, and you didn't exactly know where you belonged. I remember just really wanting to feel like I belonged somewhere, really wanting to feel like I could walk into a room and people would know my name and people would welcome me. But that's not really how I felt in high school. It makes me think of, see, I'm a big fan of the Muppets and I'm a big fan of Jim Henson. Does anyone here love anything made by Jim Henson? Muppets, Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock, anybody? Okay, I grew up on that stuff. That's my favorite stuff. And I remember the story of Kevin Clash, who was a giant African-American, just football-looking man who plays Elmo. He's the guy who plays Elmo. Like, you wouldn't think of it. When you look at little Elmo, he's this little red fuzzy guy. It, you wouldn't imagine that this, it's this big black football player named Kevin Clash who plays him. Kevin was a guy who lived in a poor neighborhood and didn't have very many friends, and he spent his time as a 
as an elementary school student, as a junior high student, making puppets. He would slave away making these puppets, and he'd do puppet shows, and he started going to puppet conventions in his teen years. Kind of a dorky thing to do. Um, I, wouldn't, I didn't even want to go to the puppet convention when John Barger and I were doing our puppet shows. Like, I was like, I don't want to go with all the freaks in the puppet convention. That'd be weird. Kevin went to the puppet convention, and it was there he met Jim Henson, who was the guy who invented the Muppets, Sesame Street, Kermit the Frog, and... Jim saw Kevin perform and he looked at him and he said, son, I want you to come move to LA and work for me. And Kevin's like, what would I do? Who would I be? And he says, Kevin, you would be a Muppeteer. And he was giving him identity. He was saying, I'm going to give you, whoa, I'm going to give you, awkward. I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you something to do. I'm going to give you something that you can devote your life and passion to. What I want to tell you guys tonight and what I'm really excited about, what I'm actually extremely excited about, is the fact that Jesus wants to give you identity. Let's look at the first verse we're looking at tonight. It's verse 11. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he's talking about an inheritance. Listen up, guys. He's saying you have inherited something. You've inherited eternal life. You've inherited forgiveness for your sins. You've inherited all these amazing, wonderful things. You've inherited a new life. God has taken your dead life, and he has made you alive in him. It says you've obtained the inheritance. How have you obtained it? When you obtain something, you get it. How did you get it? Usually when there's an inheritance, someone dies. Maybe a rich, ele- uh, rich elephant? <laughs> a rich relative. That'd be weird if a rich elephant died and gave you a ton of money. Like, an elephant never forgets. Thank you for your kindness, Trevor. That'd be weird. Um, but a rich relative dies, maybe, or uh, maybe you earned it. You know, maybe you did something really good and someone recognized you and said, oh, I'm going to give you all this money. Where does an inheritance come from? A lot of times it's, from, it's the riches that come from a father. That's where it really comes from. It's a father who works hard, gets a lot of money, and when he passes away, he leaves an inheritance for his kids. Here's the awesome thing. How did you earn your inheritance, the inheritance that God gives you? The awesome thing is that you did nothing to inherit it. There was nothing that you did. See what the verse says right there? It says, because being, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is awesome because it's saying that from the very beginning, God looked at you before you were even born. He reached into the future and he saw you and he said, I love you. He saw you and he said, I have a plan for you. He saw you and he said, I have a purpose. From the beginning, he wanted you. You need to understand that tonight. That's what I'm excited about tonight. God has loved you from the very beginning. And it says that you were set aside for a purpose. He has a purpose for you. God, he is, he's a romantic. Like, I love the Lord so much. I've been so excited lately just to see how much God loves me in my own life. Like, have any of you guys ever been in love? Raise your hand if you've been in love. Anybody? Yeah? Come on, admit it. Okay, I've been in love. I, yeah, I've been in love. And, and you know what I mean? Like, when you see that person, I, you know what? All of you should have raised your hand. You're cowards. But the truth is, you've all been in love, and you've seen that person. And when you see them, it's like music is playing in the air. Like, when you see normal people, like, there's no music. But when you see her, and she's walking down the hallway at school, like, there's this music that plays, this symphony, and her hair is just flowing. You're like, oh, like, you, you love her. If you see that guy and you're, he's walking and his hair doesn't flow because he's shaved his head on the sides and he's got the cool guy haircut, but you see him and he's just like, oh, and he, the music is playing, that is the way God feels towards you. Like, it's, it's weird to think of it that way, but God looks at you and there's music. 
He looks at you. Think about, I mean, really, how significant are we in the universe? We're so tiny. We're so small. But God created us to love us, and he's passionate about it. He pursues us. He goes after us. Look at verse 12. It says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to, should be to the praise of his glory. He set us aside for a purpose. This verse is saying that we who first trusted Christ, we should be for the praise of his glory. Now listen, I heard recently a lady from a very uh, important, very popular church, um, and I don't, I don't normally bash, I'm not trying to bash on other people, but she said something that really struck me. She got up on stage and she said, listen, when you worship, it's not really for you. I mean, she said, when you worship, it's not for God. It's not for God. That's one way to look at it. But when you worship, it's for you. It's to make you happy. You need to worship to make yourself happy. Don't do good things for God. Do good things for you. Go out and do good for you to make yourself feel warm and fuzzy inside. Because when you're happy, that's when God's really happy. That's what he wants. And it's, it's just funny to me because there's truth. There's some truth in that. There's a little bit of truth. But she got it so backwards. See, what the Bible says is that we should be for the praise of his glory. God, from the beginning, set us aside and he said, hey, I've got a purpose for you, and it's to bring me glory. A lot of people get weirded out by that. They're like, like are, we're, we're destined to bring God glory? It kind of goes against our nature because everything is about us nowadays. I have an iPhone. I have an iPad. I have a lot of I things. Like, it's all about me, according to what the media tries to tell me. Everything in my life should be around making me happy, making me feel secure, making me feel good. But what the Bible says is that we are called to bring glory to God. The way I think of it is like this. I think of it like, the Bible says God is light, right? He's light. Like, before everything else, before there was darkness, the light of him existed. And he creates us, and the world is in darkness. It's called sin. But we have a call to be light bearers. Think of it. Think of it as like this great bean of light. Just like so much light that you see it and it's just like whoosh and your hair goes back. And you're like, oh, and like your skin turns white. That's what happened to Moses. He saw the glory of God and he was just like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. That God, the God who created the universe and the sun and all the stars, which are giant balls of light, he entrusts to you his light. He says, here's my light, now go and shine it. You have the light of the world in your heart. Jesus says you are the light of the world. So what we do is we go into a dark world and we shine that light. We're kind to people. We love people. We're different. And people see that light. And what it does is it shines into the darkness. And what people do is they look and they see the light and it illuminates God and who he is. We're called to illuminate God. I think sometimes it's a lot simpler than what we think. A lot of times we think we need to do big things for God in order to really worship him. We need to do big things for God. We need to become pastors. We need to become pastor's wives. We need to go on mission trips. I mean, all that stuff is good. I'm a pastor. I've been on mission trips. That's all good stuff. That is definitely shining the light. But one of the things Jesus says, just and the reason I'm saying this is because I don't want to discourage any of you from shining the light. Because some of you guys here might be like, I could never shine God's light. And what you don't realize is you've already been shining it. You don't realize that when your mom tells you to clean your room, and you obey her, no questions asked, and you just love on her, and you do it with a good heart, that's shining the light of the Lord. 
Jesus said if a little kid is thirsty and you give him a cup of water with the right heart, that is shining the light of the Lord. I remember I was in Mexico on a missions trip. And I remember sitting in the room, and uh, it was a rickety old room at a rickety old orphanage. And, I mean, look at this. This is really cool. It's a giant blow-up screen. It's, like, almost unnecessary. I love it. It's amazing. Technology is great. Back then, um, not back then, I mean, at the orphanage. This is, this is now. This isn't back in the 70s. 2012, at the orphanage, we're sitting there. And we have this crazy, like, overhead projector where, like, you would put in the transparencies and, like, line them up and it would, like, beam them onto a wall. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't through a computer. Like, it was literally through a piece of paper. And there was this little Mexican boy who was super cute. But during worship, he was, like, butchering the slides. He was sitting there and he was putting in these slides. He was an orphan at the orphanage. And they're, they're leading worship at the orphanage. And this poor little Mexican boy is just putting the slides in upside down, halfway over, like... And I was just sitting there like, oh, man, this kid's blowing it. Oh, man, he can't get it together. And the Lord spoke to me right there, and he's like, he's serving me. What are you doing? Stop focusing on how, like, what he's doing and worship. This kid loves me, and he's doing these slides because he loves me. And even though to the world we look at that and we're like, oh, man, he didn't put those slides up right. Oh, man, they're, they're kind of off. They're kind of off-center. In God's eyes, that kid was doing it out of the goodness of his heart. And in God's eyes, he was serving him. Now, I want you guys to think of something. This is kind of a weird thing to think about, but I want to ask you, do you know why penguins are the most unhappy birds? Why? Because they can't fly. What is a bird supposed to do? What did you say? Oh, I thought you said eagles can't fly. I was like, you are highly mistaken, my friend. <laughs> we will Google it afterwards and we'll find out. No, listen, penguins are unhappy. I don't care. That movie, Happy Feet. It's animated. Those aren't real penguins. It's a lie, okay? <laughs> penguins are unhappy. I, don't, I will argue with it to the end of dawn because they can't fly. Birds were created to fly. Birds were created to fly. And guys, this is what I was thinking about. I was created to worship. You were created to worship. We're created for the glory of God. God is big. God is amazing. God is mighty. God is powerful. And if we're not living our lives in a way where we're showing that glory, where we're lights and we're shining that light and illuminating who God is, if people can't look at our lives and our actions and see God in them and see that God is glorious and be blessed, then we're like a penguin because we can't fly. We're like a bird who's not doing what it was supposed to do. We were created to bring glory to God. Now listen, look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says... In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is guaranteed our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. These are beautiful verses. It's saying, oh, this verse is so cool. Okay, look at it, look at it. It says over there, what does it say? Verse 13, in him you who trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, when a, who knows what happens when a package is delivered? Does anybody ever delivered a package before to somebody? No? Like, you guys are all just like emailing. Have they invented technology where you can actually email physical objects to people? That Really? Did you develop it? 
Do they beam holograms to people? 3D printers. 3D printers. Okay. I, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. I will get on a rabbit trail on that and go crazy. Okay, listen. When a, back in the day, people used to deliver packages to one another. I get excited. When I check my mail and there's a package in there, I am just so like, yes. I mean, I don't care that I know what it is. I ordered it off eBay. I know exactly what it is. But there's just something fun about getting like a physical box in the mail and you grab my, my wife. She's all like dainty with it. She's like, we have to make sure the box stays perfect so we can reuse it. I just grab my keys and I'm like, stab, stab, stab. I rip it open. Okay. But before that box gets to me, there's a couple things that need to happen. First, somebody signs it. Somebody has to sign for that package. There's a factory. Somebody has to see the package, sign off on it. It has to be signed. It has to be sealed. The package has to be wrapped up. I used to work in a factory where they had these big boxes and you pull the lever. I was the guy who pulled the lever and packing peanuts would fall down in the box. It was amazing. It was so fun. Um, sometimes I ate the packing peanuts. Anyway, it was a, I was working in a factory. I didn't have very many, much money and packing peanuts were like the best food I can get. I took a little salt to work and now I'm lying. Um, but... Someone has to seal the package up with tape so it's protected. Finally, someone has to deliver the package. So it's signed, sealed, delivered, and then it's yours. Does anybody know the song? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Signed, sealed, delivered. Now here's the thing. You as a Christian are signed, sealed, and delivered, and you're his. And here's the thing. We're signed by blood. Think of it as a pen dipped in ink, filled with, actually not dipped in ink, instead of ink, dipped in blood. Our, like, Satan thought he had us. Listen, listen, listen. Don't ever get bored of hearing this. You need to hear this. I need to hear this over and over and over again. Satan had you. I don't care if you were born in a Christian family. I don't care if you got saved off the streets yesterday. Satan had you in his clutches. Whether you were born in a Christian family or not, Satan thought he had you. Jesus looked at you and he said, I'm not happy with that, so I am going to sign their release forms with my own blood. When Jesus died on the cross, when he died that horrible death, like, you have to understand, I don't care how good a kid you think you are. I used to think I was such a good kid until I woke up and realized I was a big sinner. But listen, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how bad you know you are, we were all headed for hell. We all were headed for hell. And Jesus said, no way. I'm not going to let that happen. I love these people too much. And he died for us on that cross. And he signed those release papers in his blood. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says here. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. If you're freaking out about whether or not you're saved, which I used to do all the time when I was a kid. I, I would literally, I'd go to church and I'd worship. I'd be like, I'm saved. And then I'd go home and sin. I'd be like, I'm going to hell. Like it was literally just a back and forth thing where I never was sure Guys, listen, I don't care if you're here and you're worshiping with your hands up every day or if you're here and you know you're backslidden and you know you're struggling. If you've got the Holy Spirit, then you're sealed. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Did you ask for it? Did you ask for the Spirit? Did you ever ask the Spirit to come into your heart? Did you ever ask Jesus to save you? If you have asked him, if you've invited him in, then you're sealed. That is so exciting to me because I know that I struggle. I know that I mess up. I know that I sin. 
But I'm so thankful that I can count on God's grace sealing me. Jesus says that we have, he has us in the palm of his hand and the enemy can't pluck us out. Be encouraged today, guys. Be encouraged because Jesus has you in the palm of his hand. Finally, you're delivered. You're delivered from sin. You're delivered from hell. You're, guys, that is exciting. That is really, really, really exciting. That makes me not want to just appreciate for myself, but to go out and tell other people about this amazing gift that I have. How do we get this? What do we do? Anyone remember The Little Mermaid? Who remembers The Little Mermaid? Okay, what did Ursula, the big creepy fish lady, say? Ariel comes over and she's like, I want to be a human. And she's like, oh, if you want to get what you want, you've got to give me something. Like, the big creepy lady, she wasn't just like, it's for free. She's like, it'll cost you a little price. And she's like, what? She goes, your voice. And then she makes her sing this crazy, I'm not going to do it because I'm losing my voice. It's like, ah. Like, she makes her sing and she sucks the voice right out of her mouth and puts it in her own mouth. And then she sounds not like a creepy chain smoker. Um, It's awesome. It's such a good movie. It sounds, if you had never seen The Little Mermaid, and I'm just was saying this to you out of context, you'd be really weirded out. You're like, wait, what? Chain-smoking octopus? Um, okay, listen. That's the way our world works. If you want something, you've got to earn it. If you want something, you've got to go out and do something so you can get something. Think about it. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Someone died for you. Someone paid for your sins with his blood. Someone sealed you so you're protected from hell. Someone delivered you from your own sins. Sins that you're going to have in your life. You're going to struggle with sin until you die. You're never going to be perfect, but you've been delivered from the punishment for those sins. Think about that. Think about that. You are going to have sin in your life for as long as you live. You're never going to be free from sin. You're you're always going to mess up in some way. You're always going to blow it in some way. But you've been delivered from the punishment for that, and you've been given God in your heart, who's like, not only am I going to deliver you from sin, I'm going to help you get better and better and better every day. More like me, more free from sin until you get to heaven and you're perfected. That's an amazing deal. What do I have to do? How do I do that? What do I have to do so that I earn that? Nothing. It's a free gift. It's God offering you his free gift. It's simply through trusting and hearing. It's what it says. It says, I lost my place. It says in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Who here has heard the word of truth? You've grown up and you've heard the gospel. You've heard it and then you believed it. If you've heard it and you believed it, then you're signed and you're sealed and you're delivered. That's exciting to me. Let's go to verse 15. In verse 15, this is Paul. Paul the apostle. The guy who thought he was so great. The guy who was like the Pharisee above all Pharisees. He studied under the best teachers. People looked at him. They were like, this guy knows the Bible. He knows the Torah. He knows the scriptures. He would just ride around on his high horse. He'd condemn other people for not knowing as much as him. And then when the Christians came around... He would track them down and try to kill them. 
He would go after them and try to destroy their faith because he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed it was a cult. He believed that Jesus and his followers were a religious cult trying to destroy Judaism. So he rides around and starts throwing, throwing Christians in prison. And God knocks Paul off of his high horse literally and says, hey, why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you trying to destroy my family? I'm God. I'm Jesus. I'm God and Jesus. And I want you to either serve me or take a hike. And Saul's like, oh my goodness, like God is actually speaking to me. Changes his name to Paul. It's, it's this whole crazy thing. And now Paul's this guy who literally served Jesus so much, he got thrown in jail so many times. And while he's in prison, is writing all these letters to the Christians. A guy who used to go around locking up Christians is now going around encouraging Christians. And here's what he writes. And I love these verses, verse 15 through 16, because for me and for Scotty and for the counselors, this is our heart for you. This is honestly, I read this and I was like, this is how I feel about the high school kids. The way Paul feels about the the people in Ephesus, this is how I feel about you guys. Look at verse 15. It says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He's saying, I can't stop thanking God for you. I can't stop being stoked about your faith in God. And I can't stop being stoked about your love for others. And let me just tell you guys, as your pastor, who's watched many of you guys grow up from elementary school to high school, from watching many of you guys go through junior high, when I, see, when I hear that some of you guys are serving in children's ministry... That just blesses my heart so much. When I hear some of you guys, or when your parents come to me and they're like, oh my goodness, like they've been so good. They've been so helpful around the house. That blows my mind. I'm so happy. When, you know what Jesus said? Someone asked Jesus. They're like, Jesus, how will we know who the disciples are? How will we know who the disciples are? And Jesus says, by their love for one another. When I come to a Tuesday night or a Sunday and I see you guys sitting down with one of the new kids and just being so nice to them, when I see you guys who've known each other for years just loving one another, I remember we had a home fellowship recently and, and I saw a couple of you guys praying for one another after we had our time together and that just that filled my heart so much. Listen guys, continue in that. Continue in loving one another. Don't come here and, and get in your own little group where you just want to be with the same people, but meet the people in the group and love the people in the group. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're here tonight, because I've, I've talked to some of you guys before, and I've talked to some of you, you know who you are, and you're, you're a little scared to talk to other people. You're a little afraid to kind of break out of the comfort zone and make friends with people in the group. Listen, if you're scared, start by loving them by praying for them. Even if you're too scared to come up to them, go to Tuesday night, look at that person you don't know, and pray for them. Just be like, Lord, bless them tonight. Like, go home and say a prayer for them before you go to bed. Get someone on your heart that you don't know and just start praying for them and watch what God does with that. I can't stop praying for you guys, though. I don't want to just be a pastor who, like, comes and teaches on Tuesdays and Sundays and is like, hey, see ya, and, like, doesn't care about you. I care about you guys. I really do. I care about your life. I care about your struggles. I want to know what's going on with you guys. That's why I sit down and I talk to you sometimes and say, what's going on? It's not because I'm trying to be a weirdo. It's because I really honestly care about you guys. And I want to see you grow in the Lord. That's how all of us counselors feel. Look at verse 17. Paul continues to pray for the people in Ephesus, just like we continue to pray for you. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father 
of glory. Verse uh, 17. 17. It's not, it's not on there? Oh, I forgot about that. Wait, wait. Go again. 17 through 18. Okay, and then we're going to go back to that slide. My bad. Got it out of order. So it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, wait, I got to read this again. Look at this on the screen. Look at this in your Bible. This verse, this, this verse, oh, I love this verse. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's saying, he's praying for his people. He says, I want you guys to see I want you guys to understand. I want the truth to be revealed for you. This is my biggest struggle as a youth pastor is when just for years and years I watch some of you and I feel like you just don't get it. I feel like you just don't see. And please understand, that's not like a judgmental like, (laughs) they don't get it. (laughs) They're so dumb. It'd be like, it'd be like if you... I'm going to go to like one of my super cheesy illustrations I'd use in junior high. It'd be like if you, just imagine, imagine, you're standing next to this amazing cake. It's like multi-level ice cream cake with like fudge and vanilla and different types of, it's got cookie dough, it's got cookies and cream, it's got sprinkles and fro- it's like this amazing cake and it's magic. It'll never melt. It's an ice cream cake that'll never melt. It'll always stay perfect temperature. It's fantastic. You can, it'll never go bad. You just always have it with you. You can always eat it. Is anyone excited about that? Would anyone be stoked about that? Would anyone be happy with that cake? You liars. Okay, now imagine that you've got this amazing cake or like replace it with something that excites you, like a, a pony or something. Would that excite you, a pony? No, no. Have you seen a pony? Have you ever seen a miniature horse? Like it's even like, oh man, in England, there was these mini ponies. They were so stinking cute. I wanted to ride them. Anyway. Imagine that you're looking at this amazing cake or pony. Cake, you got a cake on your right side, a pony on your left side. It's amazing. And you're trying to show your friend and they just can't see it. It's like they're looking right through the cake and the pony. And they can't, eat, they can't see it. They can't smell it. They can't taste it. It's invisible to them. Sometimes that's how I feel about some of you guys when we're trying to talk about the things of the Lord. When we're trying to talk about how great God is, how amazing he is. Sometimes it's like it just, it's like you don't see it. And I love what these verses says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo what Paul says in the prayer here. I'm going to pray for you guys that your eyes will be open to the wonders of God. That your eyes would be open. That's what the verse says. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory and the inheritance of the saints. That is so good. That your eyes will be open and enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory and the inheritance in the saints. Okay, check this out. I'm going to pray for you guys that your eyes would be open. Because sometimes you guys are like me. Sometimes you're like me. Who's been to Disneyland? Yeah? Oh, wait, may I ask who hasn't been to Disneyland? Anybody? No? Yeah? You got to go, Ryan. You got to go. Maybe we'll go one day. But you got to go. Okay? So, in Disneyland, who's seen that World of Color thing? World of Color. It's pretty amazing. Okay, I went to it. I've seen it like five times now. Okay? I went to it the other week. 
Maybe this has been you. My wife, it's her birthday. I took her down there and I walk over and we're going to watch it. And it starts to happen. The, the water starts to light up and shoot in the air. And the music starts. And I literally was like, meh. I literally, I was bored. There was colorful water shooting like hundreds of feet in the air and then fireballs. You guys seen the fireballs? You know what I'm talking about? That's amazing. But somehow I had lost the wonder of it. And it took me a second. Brooklyn, remember when I told you, I was like, oh, I have to write this down? It's because the Lord was speaking to me. He's like, sometimes Aaron, this is how you treat me. I'm amazing. Water shooting into the air hundreds of feet with color and movie projection on the water and synchronized music going with it and fireballs going in there. That is amazing. If you showed someone that who lived in the 1920s, they would like burst into a ball of weeping. Like they'd just be like, ah, I don't know what to, they'd freak out. They would, they'd be like, what is this? <laughs> they would, they'd be, ama- but, but, but we're, I'm, I'm used to screens. Sometimes my screens are more exciting than the world of color. Sometimes just my own imagination is more exciting. Sometimes what I want to do is more exciting than the world of color. And God woke me up and he's like, Aaron, you can appreciate this world of color because I made water. I made fire. I made music. You can watch this thing that somebody on Walt Disney's staff invented and you can appreciate me. You can see the beauty in who I am through this. Guys, you can do that. I don't want to weird you guys out with all my Jim Henson references, but there is a Fraggle Rock episode. Has anyone ever seen Fraggle Rock? It's these little, like, cave creatures, okay? They're amazing. Red Fraggle. She's got cute little pigtails. She's this weird little, like, gnome creature, but she, she, says, she recites this poem. It says, bring back the season. Bring back the time. Bring back the wonder that used to be mine. Running and laughing, we lived in a glow. Bring back the wonder we knew long ago. I hear that and it makes me think about how much I trusted God when I was a child. How big God seemed to me. How I would listen to a Bible study being taught and and I would just be so excited to hear it. But somehow over time we lose the wonder of who God is and it becomes dead to us. And I want to challenge you guys and I'm going to pray for you guys that your eyes would be open to see the glory of God. I'm going to pray Number two, I'm going to pray for you guys that you know the hope of his calling. You're gonna, I want you guys to know the hope. Do you guys know what hope means? Hope, it's like, hope is like, it's like an anchor. It's like when you are in a storm and you feel like you're going to go under, hope's what you throw down that keeps you tethered. Hope's what you throw down that keeps you from being washed away. And my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in who he has. My hope is in his calling. I know that God has a calling on my life and I know he has a calling on your life. No matter how spiritual or unspiritual you feel that you are, God has a calling on your life. And I want you guys to have hope in that. Listen, a lot of times as Christians, we're so obsessed with what we can't do. We're so obsessed with what we can't do. It's like, I'm a Christian. I can't talk like this. I can't dress like this. I can't go here. I can't see that. I can't look at this. I can't listen to that. And we're so obsessed with what we can't do. But how often do we sit around and we think about what we can do in and through Christ? How often do we leave all that stuff where we're upset about, like, oh, I can't. Like, if you're, if you're going to spend your entire life as a Christian kid just bummed out about what you're not allowed to do, you're going to be bummed. But if you spend your time as a Christian looking at Jesus 
and looking at what you can accomplish through him, looking at what you can do through him, looking at the wonders and the riches of his glory and the relationship he wants to have with you. Guys, the thing I've realized the older I've gotten is in Jesus, I have more liberty and I have more freedom than anyone else on the world who doesn't have Jesus. I don't care how much they can drink. I don't care how much they can smoke. I don't care how much they can do what they want to do. And what I'm talking about is like people who are like wasting their lives smoking drugs or people who are just getting drunk left and right. That's what I'm talking about. What I mean is people who have given themselves like where they're not like, okay, I'm going to do things in moderation. But instead they're like, I'm just going to go crazy and do whatever I want to do with no holdbacks. And they think they're free, but they're in bondage to their sin. But we have freedom. We have hope. I'm going to pray for you guys also that you know the riches and the glory of your inheritance. Go to that slide uh, back there, okay? All right, this kid, this kid's name is Lavish. Have any of you guys seen him before on Instagram? He's considered the most hated person on Instagram. He's an Indian guy, and he just has loads and loads of money. These are some of his Instagram posts. Uh, There's um, one where he's tying $4,000 to a balloon and just letting it fly away. Um, there's one, that his caption for that one over there was, Mom always told me to eat my greens. Um, there's another one over there where he's like, I use my many, many iPhones as playing cards. Um, there's his fancy watches. He's got many, many more. But he just likes basically posting on Instagram about how rich he is. Um, he posted and he tagged Kim Kardashian in there and he called her a peasant. You're like, he's like, you're a filthy peasant. You don't have as much money as me. He's literally got pictures of like his entire room just filled with $1,000 bills and he's like swimming in it, Okay. So we can look at this guy and we can say he's really, really rich. But the crazy thing about money is it doesn't last. It's flammable. It will eventually be gone. It eventually, like, God has his kingdom he's bringing in. And I don't think our money is going to be worth anything. In heaven, it's said that the streets are paved with gold. So gold is like asphalt, I guess, in heaven. So why are we obsessing so much over it here? I want to ask you guys something, okay? Think about this. You can go to the next slide. Uh, So think about this, guys. I want to ask you guys a question. Let's say, some of you guys may know what this is like. Let's say that you had to live in a way where you kind of had to scrimp and save. You know what I mean? Your clothes are hand-me-downs from your relatives. You got food stamps. You are making ramen noodles every day. And, you know, your dad's just telling you, hey, we got to really save. We got to really scrimp this year. No Christmas presents. Sorry. And then let's say you're like 60 years old, right? And your dad's like 80 and you're dying. And your dad's outliving you. So sad. And your dad's at the deathbed. And (laughs) your dad's like, I've got something to tell you. I I wanted to tell you, but I kept forgetting all these years. And you're like, what is it, dad? And he pulls out a picture. And underneath your house, he had a swimming pool full of millions of dollars. Would you be upset? (laughs) 
Yeah, you would. Your dad's just like, oh, I forgot to tell you. If you had all these riches, if you had all this inheritance, and you're, and you're like 60 now, and you had to live a hard, peasant life, you'd be so bummed. But here's the thing. A lot of you guys are living that way. A lot of you guys are living like your spiritual peasants. You have all these riches. Like, do you realize? You have the inheritance. That's all of it. The full inheritance of God's love, the full inheritance of God's glory, the full inheritance of God's forgiveness, the full inheritance of the Holy Spirit, of God's power, of God's love, of his joy, his peace, his patience, his goodness, the fruits of the Spirit. You have all these things and God's just waiting to give them to you. He's waiting for you to come and ask for them. Solomon, how did he get so wise? He asked God for it. God said, you could have anything you want. Riches, power, whatever. Solomon says, I need wisdom. And God ends up giving him all those things through the wise decisions he makes. But some of you guys, you don't realize that you literally have a swimming pool full of God's goodness at your disposal, but you're living like you're spiritually poor. What I mean by that, what, it, what I mean by living by spiritually poor is you're just like, I just, I just, ugh, I just, I can't read the Bible. I can't spend time with the Lord. I'm a sinner. I messed up yesterday. God's not going to want to talk to me. No, he really does. He really wants to talk to you. Maybe you're like, I just, it's been two months since I've opened up my Bible. I just, I can't. I'm not ready to commit. If I open up my Bible now, I'm not going to be able to continue with it every day. I just, I can't spend time with Jesus. I can't commit. No, really, just come and see what God has for you. Open up the Bible and just see the riches that God is ready to pour into your life. Some of you guys are like, I've got to fix my own problems. I've got to solve everything myself. I've got to deal with my stuff. And God's like, let me help you. It'd be like living next to a bajillionaire who was like, hey, anytime you want, come visit me and I'll give you like a million dollars. And then you're like eating ramen noodles and you want to go eat and your stomach is growling and you've got butterflies flying out of your wallet. You've got nothing. But you won't go over to talk to the guy who has the goods. God is a loving father who says, hey, I have inheritance for you. Come and get it. Some of us only want $3 worth of Jesus. We only want three bucks worth of them. Just a little church. Just come to church. That was good. See you, Jesus. For some of us, that's all we want. If that's all you want, I hope you enjoy my studies. Uh, it's not that good, though. There's a lot better teachers out there than me. Like, see what Jesus has for you. Don't just come here. See what Jesus has for you here in your small group when you're at home. God has riches for you. But he says, seek me and you'll find me. Knock and the door will be open. He's not just walking around slipping stuff in our stockings like Santa. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes we get those random blessings that we weren't expecting. But Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. Come find me. Come seek after me. He's a romantic Now listen, an inheritance belongs to a son or a daughter. The series that we're looking at is called Sit, Walk, and Stand. When I was thinking about this today, I was thinking about some of you guys. I was thinking about the pressure of being a Christian kid. I was thinking about my own life as a pastor's son. My parents were great, but there was this expectation where it was just set really high. I remember if I didn't want to go to church for some reason... I just, I just felt guilt from my parents. I don't know if they were trying. Like, 
I look back now and I realize my parents were probably like out of love, really like concerned about me and they wanted me to hear from Jesus and they wanted me to go to church so I could be blessed. I, back then though, I just thought it was like, you're the pastor's son, you've got to go. But I look back now and I see that their heart was they wanted me to go be blessed. But I just, I felt this pressure. It was always like, I've got to be at every church service. I've got to do all these spiritual things. I can't sin. I'm the oldest child. I've got to be a good example for my sisters. I've got to be the good one. I've got to be the perfect one. There was always this pressure where I felt like I had to live up to the standard of being the pastor's son. And guys, I think for some of you guys, maybe you're, you're not pastor's kids, but maybe for some of you guys as Christian kids, as with parents who are Christians, you feel like this, like, oh, man, I've got to serve the Lord because my family serves the Lord, and that's what we do, and I've got to go to church. I guess I've got to do my devotions. I've got to show mom my journal and show her what I read, and oh, I don't even know if I get it. Maybe some of you guys are there. You're just going through the motions. Guys, this is what, this is what it's like to me. You're, you're like the guy who's trying to walk for the Lord. You're like the girl who's trying to walk for the Lord. You're like, all right, Lord, I've got to put your burden on my back and I've got to go for it. I've got to serve you. And oh, this is so hard. And you know what Jesus would say to you tonight? He would say, hey, sit. Just sit down. Before you walk, you've got to first sit. Before you walk, you've got to sit. Mary and Martha, these two ladies who love Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen. She's cooking stuff up. She's sweeping for us. She's slaving. She's like, why doesn't anyone help me? I'm trying to serve the Lord. And her sister Mary is sitting on the ground, and she's just looking up at Jesus, and she's just listening to what Jesus has to say. And you know what? Jesus was, if Jesus had his way, he'd say, Martha, I'm fine with you serving me, but first come sit with me. Then you'll be filled up with the power you need to serve me the right way. Then you'll be able to love people the way I've made you to love people. Right now, you're just in the flesh. I think some of you guys are trying to serve the Lord in the flesh. You think of God as a slave driver, and he's got all these expectations of you. But really, he just says, hey, listen, I'm your father. Come sit like a child sits with his dad. Just come sit sit here. Come sit with me. I want to talk with you. I want to be with you. I want to love you. Some of you guys are just going so hard, I feel, to serve the Lord. And you feel like all this guilt and expectation and pressure on you. And Jesus just wants you to come and sit with him and be loved. And to understand that you're loved. And to understand there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. You're a son and you're a daughter. He wants you to sit before him. I challenge you, sit before the Lord. You guys are in high school now. Go take a walk. Girls in the day, probably really close to your neighborhood, not at night. But take a walk. Go walk with Jesus. Seriously, try it. If you never try to walk with Jesus, like, it's hard. It's hard for me. Turn your phone off. That's the hardest part for me. Sometimes I'm like, I'll just put on some, like, spiritual sounding music. And I'm like, oh, then I'll pray. And I'll, like, put on music. And before I know it, I'm just, like, obsessed with what music I'm listening to. It's really hard to unplug. But I challenge you guys. Find some time. Go sit with Jesus. Go walk with Jesus. Go be with Jesus with no expectation of, man, I've got to really get something out of this. I've got to walk away from this time in the Bible with a five-point message in my notes because if I don't write it in my notes, then it didn't count. That's how I feel sometimes. Or maybe you're like, if, if I don't spend time with the Lord and if nobody knows about it, if my youth pastor doesn't know about it, if my parents don't know about it, if I can't check it off my I'm a good Christian boy or girl checklist, 
Guys, forget all that. Jesus just wants to be with you. Spend time with him. The last verses we're going to look at, and I'm excited that we get to look through these verses. Before we split up into groups, the last verses we want to look at are verses 19 through 22. Let's look at verse 19 here. Because listen, we want to see God in his glory. And I want you guys to look. I I don't have any crazy videos or visuals. I'm not going to bring the world of color up here. But just in the quietness of your heart, think about what these verses mean about God's glory and what that means for you. Because God's glory means something for you because that's the God that you follow. So this is exciting to me. These next verses are all about God. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? God has amazing power. He is big and mighty and powerful. He's the God who parted the Red Sea and then smashed it together to destroy the Egyptians who were pursuing his people. He's the God who he opened up the earth and swallowed a bunch of complaining Israelites in the wilderness and destroyed them for their wickedness. He's the God who brought fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. He created the universe. He is amazing and big and powerful. But you know what? Think of a man, okay? Think of a man. A big, strong man, a powerful man. Think of like the buffest, most craziest man that you know. Maybe he's got a giant lumberjack beard. He's got these big muscly arms. He's just he's crazy. He can like chop down a tree with one swipe. You can punch a guy and knock him out in one punch. But think of that guy. He's got kids. He's a father. Think of this imaginary guy in your head. Those arms that are used to punch out the bad guys and chop down trees. You know what that power is directed towards his kids for? Not to smack him around, it's to bless him. That's the guy who's going to chop down a tree and build a treehouse for his kids because he loves them so much. His power is directed towards his kids and his love. Now think of it, the God of the universe who created the universe has all that power and he's like, I am just so full of power and love and now I want to direct it towards you. That kind of freaks me out. I'm like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like, what's he going to do? Like, zap me with a love fireball. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. But I do know it's going to be good. Guys, think of all that power. God is not just, he's not a tiny God. He's not a small God. We can put him in a box sometimes. But he's a big God and he's powerful and he loves you and he wants to help you with what you're going through because of his great love. It wasn't a treehouse that he built us. Can anyone guess what I'm going to say? What was it? What did he build us? What do you think, Trevor? We talked about it at the other campus. Something to help someone get from one place to the other. A bridge. Exactly. God was a loving father who built a bridge. God saw that you were on one side, that he was on the other, and that there was... A long drop to hell in between. And he knew that we'd try to build our own bridges, but they'd fail. We'd try to get to God. We'd try to get to heaven. We'd try to do things on our own, but we'd have, we would eventually fall. And so he dies, and a big wooden cross is what goes in the middle, and that is the bridge we walk on to get to God. He's a father who built a bridge for his children. In verse 20, he's talking about the power of God. Verse 20. And he says, the power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) 
the power which he worked in Christ, which he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand at the heavenly places. God built a bridge through Jesus. The ultimate act of his power was when he used Jesus, when he through Jesus sacrificed his own son to create a bridge where we can get to heaven. Never forget that. Never forget the amazing of that. Never lose the wonder of what Jesus did for you. I'm going to wrap it up. In verse 21, it says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. There we go. Okay. So what this is saying is he's saying that God is above all power, all authority, All governments on the earth, no king, no president. God is above everybody. That's your God. That's your heavenly father. That's who you have on your side. It says above all might. The mightiest people on the earth, the most powerful people, the people with the most money. God is more powerful than all of them and you have him in your heart. He loves you. Above all dominion. He dominates everybody. Like he just, he dominates. God straight up dominates over everybody. He destroys the competition. Every name that is named, all the people who are famous in the world, all of you who have big names, God's name will always be famous. And I hope you know that it's not just God, Yahweh, okay? Throwing that out there. Wasn't in the notes, but just, just a note on that. Let's learn God's name. Let's find out what to call him. Because calling him God is just kind of like calling him person. Like if I went to Scott, I was like, hey, person. Like, that's a noun. God is a noun. Deity is a noun. God has a name, and it's amazing. He has names. And his name is above all other names. And finally, it says not only in this age, but also in that which to come. God is amazing and powerful and glorious forever. We're going to die. The earth is going to fade away. Everything's going to fade. But God will always be forever. And guess what? Because of him, you get to live forever. Let's finish with verse 22 and verse 23. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which in his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. I just want to ask you guys tonight to finish this up. Have things got you down tonight? Are you here and are you struggling? Are, are you, is the weight of the world on you? Are there decisions that you've made lately with, that have had consequences that have caused you to struggle? Are there things in your life you're going through that have you bummed out, that have you confused, that have you sad? The Bible says that he put all things, look at it, all things under his feet. When I put something under my feet, I'm just resting on it. I'm sitting at home and I've got a footstool and I just put it, put my feet on it. I'm not like freaking out about the footstool, like is it going to be okay? Is it going to be all right? I don't know what's going to happen to the footstool. No, I'm just, I'm just resting. I'm just watching TV. God's like, you know what? I've got you covered. All things are under my feet. Rest. I'm going to take care of it. I've got it all under control. It's under his feet. And it says all things are under his control. He's the head over everything. Everything's under his feet. And he's the head over it. Whatever you're struggling with tonight, you have to know God's in control. Now, the the last, last thing I'll say is that I struggle with identity still. Seriously. I do. I, str- I don't know who I am yet completely. I mean, I'd like to think I do, but to be honest, sometimes I have a really hard time with myself. A lot of times I'm not happy with the way I look. A lot of times I'm not happy with my lack of athletic ability. 
Some of you guys saw me today trying to kick a soccer ball. It like went like, Colby's like kicking it straight to me. I'm kicking it. It's like going like in the trees in the distance. Like I don't have an athletic bone in my body. Um, I mean, sometimes I struggle with what I feel like is a lack of speaking ability. I mean, I can find identity in my job, just like you cannot find identity in who you are at your school. Maybe you're an athlete, maybe you're a cheerleader, maybe you're a musician, and you find your identity in what you do. A lot of times it comes out in what we post on our social media. Like, that's our branding. It's who we are. It's our identity. And when we feel like we don't live up to the standard we made for ourselves, we can get bummed out. I used to go to, or I still go to pastor's conferences. You know, it's one of the first things they ask is they go, like, I'll be like, hey, I'm Aaron. Hey, I'm so-and-so. And then they'll be like, so how many kids you got in your youth group? That's like, whenever I go to pastor's conferences, it's always senior pastors, youth pastors, they always ask, how many people are in your church? And it's kind of like they're judging one another by the success that they think is how big their group is or how big their church is. If you're a guy and if, when you guys grow up and you're a, a man and you have a job, a lot of times when you, meet, when you meet a guy, one of the first questions another guy asks you is, so what do you do? That's just, it's just what's asked. It's like, so what do you do? Because people find their identity in their jobs. We meet a guy and the first thing we want to know is, what does he do? And for me, as a youth pastor, a lot of times I feel like a failure. A lot of times I'll try to put together a study and I'm like, this is not a good study. A lot of times I'll just try so hard to make a PowerPoint and I'm just like, oh man, today was a terrible day for me. Listen, I have to tell you how stupid I am, okay? I come here to work, I leave my car running with the keys in the car, door locked. Tom Frizee comes out and unlocks the door for me. And he's like, hey, you should probably get a spare key there, Chip. Like, and I'm just like, oh, man. So then I go down to the Yellow Deli, and I am just steadying down there. And I come back, and I feel good about this. I write this. I feel good about it. I don't know how good I feel about it after teaching it. But when I wrote it, I felt really good. And I go to my car, and I put the, I'm like, this is a good steady. And I put it in my car. And I closed my car door and I locked it and I realized my keys were inside my car. And I was like, why do you hate me so much, Satan? Why? And it was such a bummer. I spent a half an hour trying to get my keys out of my car. What I ended up doing was I went to the paint shop and I got like the little handle that you use to hold the paint. They pulled one off a can. I got some duct tape and I tied it to the duct tape and I slid it through the crack in the window and I was fishing like with a hook my keys out of my car for half an hour. People were driving by like... Oh, like living in Vista, like this is scary. It was, it was, it was sad. It was sketchy. Okay, it was sad. And I can be bummed a lot of times. I can be like, man, I wish I was more organized. I wish I was more capable. I wish that I had my life more together. I wish I knew how to be better with my money. I wish I knew how to just take care of my life problems. And then I realize. I realize that God loves me. I realize that God is proud of me. I realize that God is happy about me. Not because I did anything, but because he delights in me, because I'm his child. He looks at me and says, Aaron, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter how big you blow it, no matter how big you succeed, I'm going to always love you. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm always going to be running after you because I want you to be with me. It's not about coming to church, guys. It's not about hearing Bible studies. It's about being with Jesus. And I hope some of you guys can realize that right now we're with Jesus. He's here. He's here. This isn't, I hope you're not just paying attention to me. I hope you can read between the lines of who I am and what I'm saying and see Jesus. 
I do not want you guys to come here and be like, oh, good steady, Aaron, good steady, Scott, good steady, whoever else is teaching. I don't, we don't care about that. We just want you to see Jesus because he loves you. You have to realize, guys, no matter what you think your identity is, no matter how good you feel about yourself or how bad you feel about yourself tonight, your identity is you're adopted by Jesus, by God. Your identity is you're forgiven. Your identity is that you're rich, richer than that kid who ties $4,000 to balloons and lets them fly away, richer than he'll ever be. You're signed, you're sealed, you're delivered, you're his, you're loved. And he loves you very much. I hope you're encouraged tonight. I'm gonna pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you that we can look at your scripture verse by verse. We can go through it. We can find out what it means. We can find out who you are. We can find out how much you love us. That's what the heart of it, God. And God, worship is not about us. It's not about making us feel good. It's not about us being happy. It's about bringing glory to you. You're amazing and you're wonderful. You're beautiful. You're magnificent. You're forgiving. You're loving. You're just. You're righteous. You're mighty. You're a king. You're a friend. And God, we want to bring glory to you. Because when we bring glory to you, God, we're happy as a result. It's not about our happiness, but God, we're so thankful that you allow our happiness to be a side effect of us bringing glory to you. So I pray for these kids that they would bring glory to you through big acts and small, through going on missions trips and giving small cups of water to thirsty kids, through loving their parents, through forgiving their siblings, through being a great example of your love to their friends at school. I pray they'd be encouraged to know, God, that you're not disappointing them and angry at them, God, but you're patient, you're kind, you're loving, you're merciful. We thank you, God, that we're signed and we're sealed and delivered, signed by your blood, sealed by your spirit, and delivered from sin and death. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.